Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Base. I'm your host Jonathan. It's been a bit of a few weeks since I podcasted, so let's get back into it now that the Rugby Championship is uh, in full swing. First two games have been played and I think I'm going to get started with the Wallabies New Zealand game. Um, it's... I don't like doing this. I get really tired of actually complaining about referees, but I d- cannot believe that I'm having to do this game. But in, in reference to an All Blacks game, there was three yellow card offences committed by the All Blacks on um, Saturday. Three, and they were all uh, they were all like rock solid. You sh- there was no for me. There was no question about it. I mean, there was maybe a grey area with the Israel Folau tackle, but as far you know, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, I'm not happy about how World Rugby is... They don't seem to be treating every team fairly. And it's not just South Africans like myself that complain about this. It's not just Australia. Everyone that plays the All Blacks is now having is having complaints about the way they are being handled by referees versus the way uh, the All Blacks get handled by them. But these are the three yellow card offences that I couldn't believe none of them got given. The first one, the tackle on Israel Folau. This one is the most obvious because of the amount of rhetoric that's coming from World Rugby where they say tip tackle is unacceptable, no dropping people on the neck, no dropping people on the head. This one should have been the most clean cut. And this was the one that actually went up to the video referee. Yako Piper stopped the game because he wasn't sure from the angle that he had seen. So he wanted to go have a look at it. So he asked his assistant, they had a look at it. No yellow card. Penalty, no yellow card, which goes against everything that World Rugby has been saying, where it's like, no, don't tip people. Tipping people's bad. You will get carded if you tip people. They should have put a little uh, uh, asterisk next to it, unless you're an All All Blacks player. This happened very early in the first half as well. And it was coming at a time when Australia was playing some really good rugby. It could have given them an advantage. They needed to get a few more points on the board. Anyway, second one. This one actually irritated me the most because this issue really comes through when you play against the All Blacks. And it's specifically when the Wallabies play the All Blacks. They have been complaining about this for years. So, you're on the attack, you're in your opposition's 22 metres, and the All Blacks kill the ball. They do it all the time. And the Wallabies especially have pointed this out, that they do it all the time, and they never get fairly punished for it. There was a bit of a brouhaha a few years ago where they finally gave Richie McCaw a yellow card for it, and it was like, oh, look, they're finally going to police it. They're not policing it. It's... Anyway, the incident. Liam Squire came into that ruck from the side. I believe it was Liam Squire. I could be wrong. Came into the ruck from the side, went straight off his feet, grabbed the ball. Yako Piper yelled, hands off, Black. He pulled the ball out and completely killed the opportunity. They were within five meters of the try line at this stage. Completely killed the play. The All Blacks were off their feet, and so he went in there and killed the play. Yako Piper saw it, he obviously, because he blew it up. Wallabies had to set off with three points. No yellow card for killing the ball. Three points. It's not, it's not enough when you're playing against the All Blacks. They need to be penalized for being so egregious about it. It's like, come on, like... He, 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 there was no attempt at all in any part of that play that Liam Squire knew what he was doing, that they knew that it was going to be illegal play. He took the risk to stop Australia's momentum. He got away with it because they only got three points for it, and he got to remain on the field. It's bullshit. Shouldn't be happening. Anyway, number three. And I don't know how Yako Piper actually missed this one because this one was like right in front of him. Kieran rejoining that mall within the New Zealand 22... Not through the gate, through the side. 
coming through and grabbing the ball from the Australian side, passing it to his player. The All Blacks end up scoring. This one's probably the worst in terms of like what ha- like what happened in the game after this, because the All Blacks actually scored directly off this. So he ripped the ball out after coming into the more illegally. It was so obvious that half the Wallaby forwards stopped playing because they thought it was that obvious that a touch judge or a referee would have picked it up. Nope, no one saw it. All Blacks ran in a try the other end. No, and it's frustrating because I'm I'm sort of compromising how I feel captains should behave on the field. But I actually was sympathetic to Michael Hooper when he actually went to Yako Pipe and he said, how couldn't you not see that? Everyone saw that. And Yako Pipe said, oh, I didn't didn't see it. It's like, why in the world would all the Australian forwards stop playing for something so blatantly obvious if it wasn't worth just looking at? You could have blown your whistle. And they were in the 22 this day. You don't know that the All Blacks are going to go, you know, 80 meters to score a try. You know, you, you, you're not really killing their momentum or anything. What you actually should be doing is checking to see who's killing the opposition's team's momentum, who actually had the possession of the ball at the time as well. It was rubbish. That was three yellow cards that should have been given in that game. They didn't get given one. And I'm sorry, but that is not good enough. I, I complain about this on the podcast all the time, but it's not going to change until... The rug, rugby around the world has a, a serious conversation. Not the whole, oh, you know, we're just trying to get, we're just trying to knock down the winners because they're so dominant. No, I've never said on this podcast that the All Blacks are not dominant. I constantly praise them for how they can switch it on in the second half. Their ball handling skills, their physicality, I think is still the best in world rugby. They don't need these things to win it. And I don't think there's a mass conspiracy to keep them up there. I just think that it's just poor refereeing. It's this whole idea that you have to give advantage to the side that's in the ascendancy and it's screwing over a lot of teams in the process because the All Blacks are always in the ascendancy and you basically go into every game knowing they're going to be in the ascendancy. That's not fair if you're coming in as an underdog. You're literally starting off on the wrong foot. But that's that. I'm done complaining about yellow cards for this podcast. Could change again next week. Could go straight into it. Let's look at the more statistical side of this game because that was a bit more damning of how Australia played and why they actually got blown out by the by as many points as they did. The All Blacks had 55% possession throughout the entire game. 57% in the first half. Now, I'm going to praise Australia here because Australia's defense was actually really, really good in that first half. Um, the score at halftime was 6-5. They were physical. Their line speed was very, very good. And Pocock was disrupting a lot in the breakdown. The All Blacks were a bit flustered. They were dropping the ball a lot. Uh, it was quite un- uncharacteristic. And I mean, 6-5 at halftime was a very uncharacteristic score for the All Blacks. They played a really good defensive game, the Wallabies. The problem is, though, is that the All Blacks are the most physical fit and probably one of the biggest sides in world rugby. You can't give them 57% possession in a half, in 40 minutes and just tackle your way to win that. You don't have the, you don't have the fitness to deal with that. And this is what happened when the second half started. Australia looked like they were on their feet after the hour mark. After they'd spent the whole first half, you know, at a certain intensity, they couldn't continue it into the second half. And as soon as the the as soon as the All Blacks shifted gears, it just they there was holes everywhere. Wallabies were scrambling left, right, and centre, and that was more characteristic of of what made the game what it was. And it's the the All Blacks they love broken play they love hitting you smacking you in the mid in midfield making you cover the ball and then all of a sudden it's in one of their forwards hands and he's popped it out and two passes later they're down the other side they're scoring a try it's 
I don't know. I don't know how the Wallabies fix this going into next week because you can't you, you, having that defensive intensity was great, but they need to have more of the ball in their hand. They need to make the All Blacks tackle them more. They can't spend forty minutes of a half where where the opposition team has nearly sixty percent possession. And you're tackling. It's, you, it's not a recipe for success. You're going to lose those games nine times out of ten, especially against the All Blacks, the fittest team in world rugby. But the thing here is that that wasn't even the most the worst part of the Wallabies game is that they couldn't hold on to the ball or that they gave they they surrendered too much ball position. The reason why they couldn't hold on to the ball either was because their set piece was an absolute mess. They lost eight line-out throws. So we're talking about, you know, penalties, that sort of thing. They lost eight line-out throws. So they were places where they had possession of the football, they lost it to the All Blacks. At the, it was an absolute shambles. I've never seen an Australian line-out perform so badly. And... Every time they lost it, it just you could just see the the hands on hips. It, it, everything was going against us mentality that started to filter through the wall, especially in the second half. It got really, really bad. They also lost two scrums. Now that's not partly completely their fault. They did lose um, Tom and Thor in the during training in the middle of the week, and they had to bring in Tatafi Pilata now. But Tatafi Pilata now actually injured himself. Um, uh, I can't remember when he when he left, but he injured himself. Uh, early on in the game, I think early in the second half, and all of a sudden you had a. By the time sixty minutes rolled around, I think the Wallabies had a completely different, a completely new front row, bunch of young players who hadn't got a lot, you know, a lot of Super Rugby experience, a lot of um, international experience, going up against the All Blacks front row, which is the best front row, most experienced front row in in rugby. It was never to what was going to happen there. The All Blacks relished every scrum opportunity they got because they got a lot of penalties out of it and they demolished two Australian scrums after that as well. So eight set, eight line-out losses, two scrum demolished. Australia couldn't hold on to the ball and every time they did get the ball, they were just getting tackled. They're making mistakes and they just got absolutely slaughtered on their mistakes. They got destroyed on their mistakes and they're no closer to winning the Bledisloe this year than they... I think they're as far as they ever are, have been to get there. I just don't think they can match up to the intensity of this all-black side. I just not... I don't think they can win two games in a three-game series at the moment. I don't think they have enough physicality in their forward pack. They have tried to address this. They bring in um, bigger guys in their locks, but then they they consistently go on with the, with the Hooper-Pocock combination. Hooper got a $5 million contract, five years, $1 million a year, by the ARU and New South Wales Rugby. He's going to be in that side for the next five years. You bet your bottom dollar he's going to be in that side now because they've invested money now, they have to. But he's undersized, and so is Pocock. Pocock is an undersized forward, but what Pocock brings to the table is so much more important than what Hooper does. But they're both going to be on the field now because they've both got lots of money invested into them when really you should be pairing Pocock with a more traditional bruising forward. It's just not... It's not... They're not going... They will not win a Bledisloe with Pocock and Hooper playing in the same side. I'm saying it now. It'll never happen because that's just one area where the physicality of the All Blacks is just so much more superior over an 80-minute period. I definitely don't know how they turn around next week. They're never going to win an Eden Park. Not after what they did last this, this, this last weekend. They don't have Israel Folau. He limped off with an ankle injury, which we don't know at this stage how severe it is. I can see them having another 40 points hung on them. But the thing I will say about the Wallabies is that they tend... They 
they don't tend to get psychologically you know, a lot can be said about how they've responded to the the Bledisloe drought. They don't tend to be psychologically damaged from big point defeats. They tend to get beaten quite harshly in Australia by the All Blacks, and they always tend to go to New Zealand. They've played some classic games in recent years in New Zealand where they've still lost the game, but they've played so much better. So as as equally as I could say, I could see forty points being hung on them. This team does have a lot of heart. They do tend to show up in the second Bledisloe game, even if they ultimately always lose it, the games are a lot closer than the first. The first one, they generally always get torn to pieces. But I do think this one's going to... With injury to Israel, I just they don't have enough attacking weapons for me. I think they're going to get done by 40 points. Uh, there's not much more to say on it, guys. Welcome back to the rugby base. Let's move on to the other game in the rugby championship that happened on this weekend. That was South Africa versus Argentina in South Africa. Now, 34-21, it was a fairly convincing victory, but there were some things about this game that was a bit frustrating if you're a South African fan. Namely, that there was some statistics in this game, and I've got them in front of me, that suggest that this game should have been better. But let's move on. First of all, let's look at what was positive just from the player's perspective. South Africa's back three this year has been um, really, really str- a strong point in the game. Having Willie LaRue at 15 with uh, Dianti and Nkosi during the England series was a massive strength because LaRue brings a lot of creativity and Dianti and Nkosi just bring so much power and physicality and pace. They're very, very athletic. They... We're starting to see wingers now in South Africa that look more like New Zealand all black wingers, you know, not just fast, but strong, physical athletes with great ball handling. And it's really starting to show in the attacking facets of the game, especially with Willie LaRue being the creative center of it, how effective it can be on counter-attacks, backline moves. And of course, he wasn't even playing in this game. Uh, in, uh, Ma- Mapimpi was uh, his replacement, and it was... It was like Nkosi, it didn't matter that Nkosi wasn't there. He fit straight in there, did the exact same things. Both wingers grabbed uh, double uh, two tries apiece. And it looks good for South African rugby going forward if they can maintain fitness and keep these guys in and around the squad. Because, yeah, these three going forward, it's a definite strength to look out for. The Springbok pack, once again, was, you know, it was its strong physical self. Especially when you're playing as the Pumas because, you know, they... They value physicality as well. And it was quite an even contest, although I would say South Africa got a bit the better of it in the end. It was nice to see Eben Etzebeth come back after nine months out with an injury and just come in and just hit it hit it hard. You just you you feel the intensity of the pack takes a step up when he's there. He's just he's a figurehead when it comes to just throwing his body on the line and just getting out there. And then finally, Faftaclerk. This guy He's the smallest guy on the field whenever he takes them. He's got the biggest heart. And I don't just say, I'm not being, I'm not being derogatory that whole, oh, he's only got heart. The guy's got fantastic, uh, he's got fantastic uh, quickness to get to the ruck. He's got fantastic ball delivery. And he tackles like a maniac. You know, you, you a guy that small should not be tackling the guys he does. But he's got the heart of a lion and he's got the skills to match. And he, he really, his service and his quickness to the breakdown really helps this back line. And going forward, the South African team is going to have to focus on the things that make it strong. And that is physicality, fast delivery. Because the back line, it's the back line's still coming together. 
it's not you know we don't have permanent fixtures there yet we still don't know if we're going to stick with um we still don't know if we're going to stick with if we're going to go to Yanchi Yanchi's or we're going to go with Pollard we don't our 10 situations a bit fluid at the moment but once we get these guys you know I think it's fair to say Lucania and Dianti, Mapimpi, Nkosi, Willy LaRue, these guys should be in and around the squad in the next 18 months. And <clears throat> once we start to settle, having guys like Fafter Clerk behind a really physical pack is really going to get us some good go-ahead, and it gives us an opportunity to at least try and bridge the gap between us and the All Blacks. Because it's, it's all well and good beating Argentina at home, but at the end of the day, we still got to go to Australia and still got to go to New Zealand. We still got to beat these guys this year. It's like these things have to happen. We have to show some sort of bridging the gap. And I think Fafter Clerk's a massive part of that. And we'll see going forward. Now, I said before at the beginning of the segment how I thought that there were some statistics that sort of said this should have been a bigger game, should have been a bigger, bit more points scored by the Springboks. And this is because they had 62% of possession in the first half. 62%. They should have been a lot more comfortable at half-time. They weren't. Uh, Argentina scored a couple of tries off some really basic mistakes of the Springs. It just wasn't... It's this thing that was happening in, in the England series as well, where silly mistakes, really bad, poor defense in the back line. These, when I talk about the fluidity of the back line on, going on the front foot and on attacking, it's also a bit, like, it's a bit fragmented at the moment when it comes to defense as well. There's not a lot of understanding there yet, and it need they need to pick it up quickly because it looks a bit amateurish at times, and it looks like we could get blown out by the All Blacks if we don't sort it out quickly. But I mean, they had 62% possession, 71% territory in the first half. They should be doing better than that. And 17 turnovers, 17 turnovers. So that's dropping the ball, losing the ball on the ground at the ruck. It's, those kind of numbers are going to get you killed. It just happens that the uh, that the uh, that Argentina was almost as bad. They had 15 turnovers themselves. It's not really... Um, you don't want to be seeing that going forward because you just feel like if you do that in New Zealand, you're going to get 50 put up against you. It's just a bit silly. Um Rassi's a pretty methodical guy. He's very much about the numbers, though. I bet, I imagine he's going to be drilling them in Argentina this week to improve on the mistakes because going to Ar- Argentina are going to be much more are going to punish a lot more mistakes in Argentina than they would in South Africa. But I mean, we can also focus on some positives here. South Africa's breakdown was phenomenal. Thirteen turnovers against five on the ground. So 13 turnovers against Argentina. Of the 15 turnovers that Argentina had, 13 of them were because of what the Springboks did on the ground, how they how they turned it over. And that's a really good thing going forward because that's opportunity there. That's opportunity against the play. It's defensive opportunity against the run of play. It's also got counter-attacking ability as well. And if we can continue to do this against the Wallabies and the All Blacks, we should be getting better results against them as well. We just need to make sure that what we... Once again, it, this leads into the the fact that they had a lot of possession, a lot of territory. We need to be more clinical with what we've got. There are facets and building blocks in our game at the moment. Our ability to take the ball back. Having decent spells of possession, which are vital when you're playing against the All Blacks. You don't want to be tackling the All I said this in the previous... You don't want to be tackling the All Blacks for 80 minutes. Because you'll drop off in the, last, in the last 20 and you'll get absolutely killed. So there are some things... Set plays, obviously, you know, South Africa 
don't tend to be bad with their line out. The more was on 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 show again as well. It's just these little basic mistakes, dropping the ball. There's thing. I feel that the Springbok side is on the cusp of turning the corner, but it. I don't want to say that as in. I do believe that it that this corner is very important to turn, dropping the ball. Making silly mistakes will get us killed, and I'm I'm harping on back to this. But yeah, there are building blocks. Stealing the ball on the ground efficiently and in double-digit numbers like that is going to cause absolute chaos against the Wallabies and the Wolves, if we can do it. But we have to be able to do it because we're not going to win those games. We need to be more clinical with the possession and the ball that we do have, and these things can happen. The statistics are saying that we've got what we need to turn this team into something amazing and something great. But it's not going to happen until skill errors, chemistry, and <clears throat> just better defense. Once all these, things, all these things come together, we could be seeing something scary. Will it be better than the All Blacks? It might still not be better than the All Blacks, but at least it might give us a chance to be able to make them bleed and to make them respect us more. And then if we do get into a quarter, uh, well, we won't get into quarterfinal, we're in, in the same pool as them at the World Cup. But if we get into a final with them at the next World Cup, it gives us a, a chance to actually beat them. Because right now, no one's there. No one's, we're making way too many mistakes in the field to do that. The Wallabies don't have the physicality or the depth to do it. But we need to, we need to change this. We need to bridge those gaps. There's enough there. I've seen it. I'm not going to go back to the, the points I've already made, but we've, it's there. South Africa has got a corner that they need to turn, but I think that after watching that game, after looking at the statistics and having a bit of a review of them, I feel that we're almost there, but it's the next step up is the hardest step to take. It's all about executing on the field, no more dropping the ball. All right, guys, thank you for listening to this week's podcast. I'm going to try podcasts as much much more consistently in the future. It's all about work and stuff like that. But I'm gonna, I'll be back onto it straight away next week 